welcome to the Popcorn Junkies. This is a movie review. If you're a movie fan, if you're a film buff, if you're a geek, if you like your superhero movies but you also like your Tarantinos, if you like your cult and you like your streaming, this is the place for you. We review stuff, we talk about the latest news, we go through award seasons and award ceremonies. We love to chew the cud when it comes to anything. Moving image, movies, films, streaming, whatever, you name it, we love it. So, subscribe and you'll be notified whenever we do a trailer reaction or a movie review or a streaming series review. We've got all sorts coming up. Anyway, so this is a review of The Boogeyman, which is a new horror film by um, Rob Savage, directed by Rob Savage. Rob Savage is the director of, uh, I believe he's British, the director of Host, um, uh, which was a sort of lockdown, Zoom-orientated tech horror in which a bunch of people all on a sort of Zoom call uh, do a seance and things go wrong within the sort of squares of the Zoom call. Um, very good, very stressful, very atmospheric and very, very, just very scary. Uh, you also did Dashcam, a little bit more confused in its uh, sort of concept uh, and its conceit, but equally as effective in terms of just being batshit fucking scary. Uh, so Rob Savage makes scary shit. Uh, but a lot of his scary shit has pivoted around tech and uh, and sort of, not the horror of tech, but using tech and multi-screens as a means by which to kind of present incoming horror and build tension, which I think is quite clever. This is a real departure for him. This isn't about tech. This is called The Boogeyman. It's based on a short story by Stephen King. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. What would Hollywood do without Stephen King? And yet, and yet, there is a distinct sensation with this that a, I think it's about 12 pages long, the story, um, uh, turning into a 90 minute film. You can kind of see the connection. Could we be reaching peak Stephen King usage? Could we have, could we be crawler dredging slightly the bottom of the Stephen King bread bin? I've kind of mashed up some metaphors and analogies there, but anyway. Um, so it's called The Boogeyman. Um, it, the boogeyman, what is a boogeyman? Well, there's a bogeyman. We used to talk of the bogeyman when I was young. There was fungus, the bogeyman, but then the boogeyman, I think it's a very American thing, isn't it? it? It's the, it's the sort of creature or the person or the thing that hides under the bed or hides in the, in the wardrobe. You know, it's, it's very childhood-like. It's very childlike. Well, this film sets out to do something a little bit different. This is a horror film we saw on a Saturday night. I, I love seeing, it's a great night, Saturday and Friday nights. Great nights going to see horror films. You're out, there's lots of people in there wanting to have a good time, wanting to be scared. And the horror film is going through something of a renaissance at the moment, certainly with films like Barbarian, uh, Evil Dead Rise, lots of kind of relatively low budget. I think a lot of the studios are discovering and realising that for um, relative to the money they can make in the, on, on the film at the box office, the budgets are that much smaller than superhero fodder and, you know, all this high-tech wizardry that you get with all these kind of blockbusters. So they're, they're, they're a good return on investment. But for me, the benchmark of a good horror, sort of low-budget horror movie or a B-movie horror movie that sort of elevates itself slightly above that is Barbarian, the recent film Barbarian. And so it was with that in my mind that I came to this. I was disappointed with Evil Dead Rise uh, a couple of weeks ago. The review is on the channel. Um, I don't know, it just lacked something for me. It lacked something. It wasn't particularly scary, but that's not even necessarily what you're going to Evil Dead Rise for. You're going to Evil Dead Rise for the kind of camp, grisly, comedic, sort of gruesomeness. So what is this about? This is about a family, as so many good horror films are. It's about a father and his two daughters. The father played by Chris Messina and his two daughters played by Sophie Thatcher and Vivian Lyra Blair. Uh, the eldest of the two daughters, Sadie, is, is pretty much Sadie's film in a sense. It kind of sits in her with her point of view. And whilst we have a little prelude or a prologue at the beginning of the film, which demonstrates a grisly moment of horror and yuckiness around a baby in a crib and a sort of thing in the corner in the cupboard. So we're sort of, you know, it's, it, 
it's imprinted on us quite quickly that this is a sort of you know wardrobe baby family scenario. Uh, we that happens at the front. We are then introduced to our main family, which is a father and two daughters. They've lost their mother, so this is a film that's sort of you know threaded through this film is loss, grief, uh, mourning. Um, and you know, and, and, and the trauma of that, a family trying to get back on its feet, a, fa a family that's had its kind of internal rhythm kind of knocked off because you know a key aspect of that family has gone missing. Uh, the father, as I say, is a therapist and he works hard and he kind of doesn't want to talk too much about the trauma and sadness of, of them losing his wife and their mother. Uh, and as I say, we kind of identify principally with, with Sadie, the older daughter, who is clearly an outsider, she's not fitting in, she's slightly sort of alienated from her friends. You you know, her best friend is kind of hooking up with new friends at school. And there's, you know, some classic kind of American high school scenes where she's not exactly bullied, but, you know, one of the other girls in the in the sort of clique is sort of, you know, very disrespectful and doesn't really even care that, that poor old Sadie has lost her mum. And so we then have this sort of prologue scene at the beginning of the film is made sense of uh, with the arrival of the wonderful, wonderful actor. Well, I say he's a wonderful actor. I like him as Polkadot Man. I'm probably going to pronounce his surname incorrectly. Uh, David Dasmalchian wonderful face. I mean, my God, he's got a face made for horror. I mean, he could play a sort of Phantom of the Opera or a, I don't know, Boris Karloff, you know, type thing. Um, anyway, he comes in. He's the father of presumably the child that was that died at the beginning um, and uh, and he comes to see the dad of this family uh, for some therapy and, and also to warn him or, or explain to him that whilst he was seen as the kind of villain it was actually because of some creature or something or other that comes at night and sort of latches itself onto your family and latches onto the grief and the sadness and the trauma and, and then horrifies the family and I think that, that is a great concept I think for a horror film you know the idea that you know you have this dark sort of you know sort of apparition or figure or, or, or entity that, that attaches itself to grief. I think that's so, you know, it's a powerful concept. Um, but this guy, David Dasmalchian, he, he kills himself in the house and suddenly, you know, things take a terrible turn. Mold starts sort of growing all over the place and then we start to get all these kind of strange happenings that we've seen in the trailer and we have the young, that's where the youngest daughter kicks in. Whenever you've got horror coming, pull in the young kids, pull in the young children, let's scare the shit out of them and we can scare the shit out of the audience. Now one of the things I really liked about this film was its use of light and its use of light sources. The boogeyman only comes out when it's dark or thrives in darkness like most monsters. Um, but this girl, the young girl in the film, has a ball and this ball is, has a light and this is a great device uh, sort of cinematically in, in terms of camera work to be able to roll this ball because of course the ball will reveal things when it sort of rolls past things in this sort of arcing fashion um, and so uh, you know it's quite a nice advice you know so she rolls it under the bed and the door open there's a lot of door openings I mean for saying you know you know, horror's got become quite sophisticated. Things are quite complex. But it's amazing how much a horror film still depends on a door opening, ajar, or, or going downstairs into a basement. And this film really leans on the door peeling open. I mean, the concept is a simple one, really. It's not, it's not entirely different to the one from Monsters, Inc. You know, the Pixar movie. The idea of, you know, what's behind the door, what's in the cupboard, what's under the bed. All that classic, sort of it's a classic conventional horror locations, tropes, potential sources of horror. The Boogeyman. So it's quite conventional. I mean, and I'm I have to confess, I think one of the things I was beginning to feel whilst we started with quite a neat premise, I think, around loss, around the idea that this kind of, this, this as I say, entity uh, sort of attaches itself to a family grieving and so it sort of sustains itself and it feeds itself quite literally. There are scenes where you sort of see dark stuff coming out of people and into it, you know, sustains itself on sadness and misery and, and loss. I think, I think that's, that's really rich. But in a weird way, this film, as it went along, slowly began to sort of lose confidence or perhaps it lost any real capacity to keep 
being inventive with the original themes. And I think the themes of the film are really strong. Um, it, 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 what I'm saying is it kind of started to kind of lean much, much more towards kind of, you know, conventional sort of jump scares and uh, basements and doors and things down corridors and things coming towards you and things hovering above you and all that kind of stuff. One thing I would say is highly effective jump scare film. If you want to go out and you want to shriek a lot and you want to end up seeing more popcorn on the floor than in your tummy, then this is the film to go and see. If you want to take someone with you who's of a slightly nervous disposition and you like to make them almost fart and shit their pants, uh, th this is the film for you because you can make them jump even when there's nothing to jump at. It's very jump scary. It's very scary. So it's a great, it's a great film to watch with your mates. That's, that's kind of what I'm saying. But I think what there was at the beginning in the first sort of half hour, 40 minutes of this film, there were, there were the makings and there were the ingredients of a kind of much more, not when I say complex, but a little bit more layered sort of film, which then started to turn towards more obvious kind of uh, narrative beats and things like that. That said, there are some absolute sort of, for me, standout moments. I think one particularly, one particular standout moment is is a tooth being taken out on a string. I mean, that in and of, in and of itself is something that my nan did, my nanny Thelma. She attached a string literally to the door, slammed the door shut. It was curious, wasn't it? You sort of think, well, why not just pull it? Why, why does it have to have this sort of added drama of a door? Anyway, well, a tooth comes out and there's a really wonderful moment further down. Sorry, that's my printer just sort of having a bowel movement. Uh, there's a wonderful moment later in the film where a scene happens that she gets a bit stoned, she gets these... These friends come around. She tries to strike out and strike up friendships, try to not be so isolated with these horrible friends. Why are teenagers so fucking... Most teenagers in horror films deserve to die. It's a fact. They're just so obnoxious. Anyway, but there's a wonderful scene where she gets quite stoned or uh, high on something, and um, and this the, the tiny little tooth on the end of a string <gasps> makes a reappearance through... Oh, in the most disgusting sort of ways. And that was quite neat. And even at the beginning, there was a moment where the tooth on a string was dragged away by the entity and it kind of went round a crack in the door. So, you know, there are some neat moments like that. I really like that. Another neat moment, which actually didn't deliver on too many scares, but was quite, again, stylized, clever, reminded me of his other films, was when she was with the um, child psychologist or the therapist. And she said, we're going to try and get you used to sitting in the dark. And so she plonks a sort of cube in the middle of the room with a red light on it. And the light is going to go off uh, very briefly. And then over a period of time, it's going to go off for longer periods of time just to get you used to being in the dark and I thought that's real that's believable that's realistic but you don't and as you're sitting there watching this girl looking around the room you're thinking what the hell is she going to see so there's some quite neat use and foregrounding of you know like lighting devices and things like that it didn't get too paranormal but then we did see the monster. We did see the entity. We did get a sense of the entity. It was drawn by one of the characters at one point. And then we see a drawing. Why? why, why it's curious in horror films. Why do we always draw the entity? Because once you draw the entity, it gives a huge clue as to how it's going to be. And I have to confess, why does everything have to have legs like that and a head? Why do, why does it, why do things always have to be in a scuttly mode? Why can't we have some, I really want, I want, I want films to be a bit more inventive with you, gooey and gruesome, which is what I think was clever about Barbarian with the sort of disfigured, mutated, mutoid-like sort of maternal figure creature Barbarian. Um, I, I thought that was clever, that was innovative. I, I, it reminded me of a film like The Descent with the creatures in that. So I have to confess I was a bit disappointed with the creature in this. Again, the jump scares come thick and fast. Uh, there's a particular scene where uh, our main teenage daughter, who as I say it's kind of her film, she, she goes to the house of the D David Dalmatian's character's family and his his wife, his wife who survived him, you know, obviously is there trying to hunt down the boogeyman. Um, and uh, she has sort of corridors full of candles. And again, I thought a few cliches in there, you know, long corridors with lots of melting candles to keep the boogeyman away. Might keep the boogeyman away, but it's also going gonna, gonna to burn your house down. Um, but there's a great moment where there was a bit of a reverse kind of psychology where she, you know, a, a teenager went to her. We thought they were working together to fight the boogeyman. And then suddenly, suddenly our main character is being used as bait, which is which is absolutely fantastic. 
there was a nice moment towards the end, or there was a, a deeply disturbing moment where we kind of looked into the gizzard. We looked into the into the face, the jaws, the, the gizzard, I like that word, the gizzard of the boogeyman. Um, and you could see another little face in there. It made me want to go back and see the film just as, what's the little face? It was like a little kind of, it was like a in darkness, but then there was a little kind of face in there. I think then that's eerie when you have sort of in I think that works really well that contrast and so there was something quite unsettling in it and then I was it just made me think at the end I thought actually could we even see a horror film now that has a bit more fun around the creation of the monster so in the end I was asking questions about who is the boogeyman well you know why, why does he follow people well you know what's driven him what, what's the what's his origin story you know why does he feed off loss what is it that he gets from it why you know what does this how does this sustain him and what's his ultimate mission and, and is does he have a tragic backstory so i start to get concerned and and interested about the boogeyman um and all of this kind of leads to a sort of pretty conventional denouement rescuing the dad everyone gets sort of gobbled up this shoot it up it's kind of oh down in the basement all that kind of stuff and at that point it just became quite i thought standard it, it i think it started really not really in a, in a complex fashion, but I thought it had lots going for it in terms of it doing something different. And then by the end, it didn't do anything different, which if you've gone to be scared is fine. That's fine. That's all you'll want from it. But I, I just felt there were a few, given his other films, Host and Dashcam, I was fully expecting him to sort of really sort of, you know, I don't know, surprise us and take us off on a sort of, you know, real kind of, uh, kind of random kind of route or a surprising route to a sort of meta level of something or other. And actually it was, it was surprisingly conventional, this film. If I was to score it, I would probably give it I'd probably give it about 55, 55. It's okay, it's fun. And I'd certainly say go and see it to be scared, but you're not gonna get much more than just the scares, if I'm honest.